Fine, so good to see you. I'm Zach, one of the pastors here. If you're new, uh, we just want to say how excited we are to, to see you. And if there's any questions you have, we'd love to answer those. Um, every church is different. Every church has its things it's really great at, things it's not as great at, its quirks, whatever. Um, so we're just one of those churches. And so we'd love to get to know you and answer any questions you have if you um, would like that. So welcome to visitors. Um, we are in a series in the book of First Peter. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it, um, digital paper. First Peter's toward the very end. Um, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter. And we've been in there for four weeks. This is uh, week four, I believe. And so we're going to continue to press on in chapter one. And we're going to be looking at starting at verse 10 this morning. Before we dive in there, I want to ask you a simple question Okay, I just want to ask you a simple question. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? And the question is this. Who are you? Who are you? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? See, the answer to that question is simply an identity question. How you self-identify. What's your primary sense of identity? Where does that come from? What's the word that came to mind? I am a teacher. I am a mother. I am a student. I am a, maybe negatively, I'm a failure. I'm a liar. I am a child of God. I am a what? What, what are you? It's an identity question. And for the last four weeks, we've been tracking with the Apostle Peter as he's writing to churches scattered through ancient Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, And he's been talking to them about identity. Peter wants his first readers 2,000 years ago of this text and us 2,000 years later to have the first thing that comes to our minds be the content of verses 1, 2, 3, all the way through verse 12. He's making massive pronouncements about identity. His greatest desire, I, I think, based on reading him, would be that if he were to walk into one of those churches scattered throughout ancient Asia Minor, and he walked into one of those church gatherings and and asked those people there, how do you identify yourselves? Nothing would make him happier than have them rattle off that they've memorized verses 1 through 12 of this letter. That's what he's getting at. So, So who are you? The answer should come back well, the content of verses 1 through 12. Let's just review it. What does verse 3 say? Verse 3 says that Christians have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. You You are someone who's been born again. You're a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He or she is a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And he's saying the same thing here. You've been born again because Jesus is risen from the dead. It's a true fact of history. That's who you are. That's your identity. He says, verse 4, you have an inheritance. Your identity, you're as one who has received an inheritance. And it's not dollars and cents inheritance. It's better than any trust fund. It's a heavenly inheritance that's imperishable and unfading and undefiled, and you can't take it away, and it's yours. You are, your identity is someone who's received an inheritance. Verse 5 says that you are someone who's being guarded by God's power through faith. Verse 9 says that you have a salvation. 
if you become a Christian, you have salvation. You don't have to worry about what happens after you die. You know that Christ has you because the gospel is true, the good news is true. And then verse 6 says that you are someone who is being tested, and that seems kind of negative, but that testing has a purpose. You're someone, here's your identity, someone who's, who purposefully trials are brought about by God so that you can persevere and grow in your faith. And it's uncomfortable in the short term, beautiful in the long term, like long term, like eternal. This is who you are. This is who you are. And so if you see what Peter's doing here, he wants them to know who they are, but also not just know it cognitively, but know it emotionally and rejoice. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. He's saying, you're already doing it, and that's good. And and, and he says it again in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. Though you do not see him, you believe in him, Jesus, and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. So he's saying all of these identity statements about who you are should cause you to rejoice, to feel something, to be moved. And that's going to link to your perseverance as you live in a culture that doesn't understand you. Okay, so Peter's just drilling down deep into their identity. That's what these last four weeks have been about. Know your identity so you can rejoice in it. And now for today, he's continuing to do the same thing. And he's going to put a little bit of a spin on it that's somewhat unique, but also should stir us up to rejoice in light of our identity. Okay, and here's the point for this morning. I'll just tell you straight up. This is all I want you to know leaving this room today. Based on verses 10, 11, and 12, Peter wants his first audience then and us today to know that based on the time we live, we are people of immense privilege. He wants them to know that based on the time in which they live, and us as well, we are people of immense privilege. Let me give you some examples of what Peter's talking about, okay? So in around 1660s, there was this guy named Robert Boyle. And he made pretty um, amazing predictions about medical advancements that may come in the future, okay? So he said this, uh, or this is just what I, I found in my studies this week. In a handwritten list from the 1660s, Robert Boyle made a number of guesses about what the future would hold, including, quote, the cure of diseases at a distance or at least by transplantation, Considering that he lived in the pre-enlightenment era of magic and superstition, the idea of organ transplantation is incredibly forward-thinking. So 1600s, he's talking about organ donors and organ transplants. And I'm sure people at that time were thinking, wow, that would be pretty amazing. Or this guy's just crazy. Um, But if that were to happen, man, that would be really, really cool. Of course, it can't happen right now. And as a result, we're grieved because kids die, um, adults die, you know, we all can get sick, and, and it'd be great if we had some really awesome medical technology, but we don't. But man, I can imagine a day when that's coming, and man, that would be really, really cool. That would be really cool. And guess what? Here we sit. 400-some years later, here we sit in a context where you can get a liver transplant. You can get a kidney transplant, and things that people used to die of, they don't die of in the same ways anymore. Like, that's amazing. We should rejoice at the time in which we live based on these blessings. 
Okay? What a privilege to live at this time in history. Let me give you another one. 1909, uh, Nikola Tesla predicted, basically, uh, the Internet and iPhones or smartphones. And he said this. This is over 100 years ago, 1909. It will soon be possible to transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can own and operate his own apparatus. Tesla's told the New York Times in 1909, and he, he nailed it, right? Here we are. I mean, I can, I can text with my, my friend Clark, who's spending a lot of time in Finland this semester, and we just text all the time across the ocean, instant. It's amazing. Like, how did we ever pick someone up at the airport without this? You know what I mean? Like, I think about that. I mean, that was my lifetime still, and I'm like, I don't know how I did this. You know, how did that ever happen? How did I function without this device? Amazing blessing, right? Communication. Boom, instant. There's a lot of downsides with the internet, but there's a lot of upsides too. And so we should be thankful. Like, what a privilege to live at this time in history. And that's what Peter, that's kind of the feeling, the sentiment that that Peter wants to get across in these verses this morning. Peter wants his audience then and us today to see that based on the time we live, we are people of immense privilege. Let's take a look. Let's look at verse 10. Now, just as a heads up, this, uh, verses 10 and 11 is kind of a run-on sentence, and it's kind of gnarly, so we're going to break it down. But let's, let's take a look. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. All right, so let's... Let's, let's pick this apart. Let's unpack this. So Peter just got done. If you look at verse 9, you'll see that he got, just got done talking about salvation, meaning how is it that someone becomes a Christian? He got done talking about you know, the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was risen from the dead. He's crucified for, for sin, raised from the dead. You can trust him because he's risen from the dead. No other religious leader makes that claim and does it. Okay, Jesus risen from the dead. As a result, you have your faith in him. You can trust and treasure him. And so you obtain salvation. And that's what he just got done talking about in verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, faith in Jesus, which achieves or grants you the salvation of your souls. You simply believe, trust, and treasure, not by works. And now he's like, okay, well, let's talk about this salvation. What does he say? He says, concerning this salvation, right? The salvation in the present that you have right now, I want you to understand something. The present that you now stand in has a past. Has a past that's very significant that I want you just to appreciate. That's what he's getting at here, okay? You're standing on the shoulders of the past, okay? That's verse 10. Look at verse 10. The prophets who prophesied, past tense, about the grace that was to be yours, present tense, okay? So what does this mean? What this means is that for centuries... Before this original audience got this letter from Peter 2,000 years ago, for centuries before that, God spoke through people called prophets, okay? Prophets functioned as God's mouthpiece, sometimes God's megaphone, kind of like standing on the street corner saying, you guys need to listen, you guys need to listen, okay? Um, There's a classic verse, Hebrews chapter 1, that talks about this. Check it out. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, 
So this is a 2,000-year-ago audience. The author of Hebrews is writing, and he's saying to them, long ago, many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the role of the prophet was to speak for God, a spokesman for God. And what was the content of this message to the people? Well, there's a lot we could say here, but basically you could probably summarize it in maybe three ways. And there's a lot more, but here's three biggies. Um, they would predict the future concerning judgment, okay? So all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see prophets saying to the people, don't go that way. You shouldn't be doing this. Don't, don't run that way. It's going to be fruitless. It's going to be horrible. Stay with the Lord. If you don't, man, God will bring his wrath justly, okay? Because he's a God of justice. So they would predict messages of wrath in the future. Oftentimes, a prophet would bring a strict rebuke for the present. So the classic example would be David. And David was a king at the pinnacle of God's, at the time of God's Old Testament people. And, and he sinned horribly. Abuse of power. Adultery. Murder. And God's prophet comes to him. His name was Nathan. And he says, essentially he says, you're the man. You're the sinner. You're in deep Waters here, David, you need to repent because what you've done is horrible. So he spoke in the present. It wasn't a future. It was just a present pronouncement about a situation, a strict rebuke. And then also we see prophets, especially Isaiah and some others, that, that, that speak unbelievably encouraging messages about the future. There's coming a day when. There's coming a day when. And that's kind of the content of what Peter's getting at. In this, that's the style of pro prophecy from the Old Testament that he's wanting his audience to understand. These prophets that gave massively encouraging messages about the future, essentially how it is that the Savior of the world would come. Okay? That's verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Essentially, the prophets that prophesied about the salvation in Jesus that you now have would be another way to say it, okay? Prophets, prophets that prophesied about the future Savior of the world. That's what he means by the grace that was to be yours. Now, here's the thing that, that we have to understand and that he wants them to understand. These prophets, they didn't have all the information that we have or that Peter's first audience had because they lived post-Jesus. The prophets lived pre-Jesus, and it wasn't all mapped out. It's this thing called progressive revelation, meaning that God reveals his plan of salvation over time. And the prophets lived pre-Jesus, okay? So what did they have? All they had were clues and hints, and, 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 and they didn't have the reality. They just kind of had shadows. It certainly was a message of grace, but it wasn't fully complete like we have, Okay? And like Peter's audience had, because Peter's writing scripture, okay? But let me give you an example about like a prophet and a classic promise about the future that he didn't have all the answers about, but Peter's first audience did, and we do now. And it's Jeremiah 31, 31. And it says this. This is, you know, maybe five, six, seven hundred years before, um, before the time of First Peter. And Jeremiah says this to God's people back then. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, but, I, but the, 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 the kind of the pregnant 
phrase is a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant. So God's Old Testament people lived under a covenant, a, a loving relationship, um, an agreement based on a loving relationship. And that was a really, really big deal for their reality. But here Jeremiah says, there's coming a day when I'm going to do something new. I'm going to make a new, a brand new covenant. Like, whoa, what are we talking about here? This is, I thought this covenant that we were living in was all there is. And Jeremiah is saying, no, 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 there's coming a day. I'm going to make a new one. I'm a new one. And, and, and Luke records that many centuries later, Jesus comes on the scene. And on the night before he's to be crucified, he gathers with his disciples. And look at what he says. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Prophecy fulfilled during the time of Jesus. And we live in this reality of Luke 22, this new covenant in my blood, and we do it every single week. But Jeremiah didn't. Jeremiah didn't have these words of Jesus. He had no idea how this new covenant that he was talking about was going to come to pass. He was dealing with shadows and clues and hints. And that's why Peter says this. See if this helps now. You understand verse 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation... The prophets, like Jeremiah, who prophesied about the grace, or like the new covenant would be another way to say it, that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, or or God, you could just say God was talking to Jeremiah and, and was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So again, just to illustrate using the language of the text, Jeremiah gets this word from God, and, and like there's a day coming when God's going to make a new covenant. It won't be like the old one. And Jeremiah was probably wondering lots of things. What, how, what's this going to look like? Is this going to happen in my time? Or is it going to happen way later? Like what are the details? And, and he might be turning to some of his friends that, that fear the Lord. And like what do you think? Like what, what, what is this message about? What, what are the details going to look like? What, what's, what's this going to be? And, and Peter's point here is though those prophets back then, they longed to know all the details. They longed to know the fuller meaning they were sharing. Um, they, they, they didn't just want to see the shadow. They wanted to see the real thing. They were eager, longing, striving to know more. And, and these glorious hints and shadows and, and clues were great. But they didn't understand like, like the future people would who got to see this prophecy come to pass. They, they never understood like the future people would. And so here's the, the punchline. All that boils down to this. Peter is writing to this first audience and us today, and he says, guess what? Rejoice, because you are the future people. You are those future people. You're experiencing what Jeremiah and many others longed to know. He's saying all those prophets going back centuries in the Old Testament, they would have loved to know what you know today. He's saying consider your privilege and rejoice. They just had shadows and hints and clues, but you've got the reality. You've got the real thing. So so let this fuel you, this identity statement of, of you are one who has received all the details of how it is that salvation works in terms of, yeah, just more information than they have. You live in a time of progressive revelation and the revelation is progressing and you live in a time where you just know so much more. So you're facing persecution in your context, he says to them. We already see that in verse six. Let this fuel you. God was so pleased to cause you to be born in this time and space. That's a blessing. Rejoice. 
Rejoice. Yes, the time in which you live is hard, but the time in which you live is also glorious just based on the information you have. Hundreds of prophets and people would have died to know what you now know. So be thankful for your privilege and let that fuel you. Let it give you perseverance. Let it give you passion to live for Christ in a world that does not know him and might think that you guys are just a collection of weirdos because you don't do what everyone else does. And your values are different or should be or you repent when you fail. Let me just give you another illustration that just kind of, I think, illustrates the the feeling. So in, in in about 13 days, less than two weeks, um, two weeks from yesterday, myself and uh, two other couples, small team, will head to North Africa to engage with our team that's laboring there where Christ is not known, where Christ is not cherished, where there is no access to the gospel in the same way that it is here. And so we're going um, over there to just on a mission of encouragement because they're radically isolated. And so we'll have church service with them. We'll invest in their relationships. We'll invest in their kids, um, you know, because they're so needy. And they don't have church like this. They sit in the living room with just them and their kids. So four adults, seven kids. And so we want to just go be a blessing to them. One way you guys can help be a blessing is stop at the table out here in the back and just write a card to them for Christmas. And we're going to gather those and bring those. And so that's at the table at the back behind the wall. Um, so please do that. Stop and do that. That would be a huge blessing to them. But, you know, we're going to step on a plane on this mission of encouragement. And what, 150 years ago, if we wanted to do this, we'd have to get on a boat. And it would take about three months. And that's uncomfortable. Like the call of God to do, to, for every tribe, tongue, and nation to know him and for us to participate in that would have been way harder. Now, there's nothing I enjoy about being in a flying tube for like 13 hours, right? Um, long legs, I'm like chewing on my knees, you know what I mean, in that seat. And, and based on who I'm sitting next to, it can be different levels of crampedness, you know what I mean? And so, man, that's not uncomfortable, but that's nothing compared to three months on a boat. I mean, praise God for flight. You know, it makes our, our, our time as we engage in, in, the, in, in seeing the gospel move forward through church planting and discipleship among the nations where he's not known, it makes that so much easier. So we should step on that plane and be thankful for the time in which we live. What a blessing. What a blessing. And again, that's the emotion that Peter's trying to get at for this first audience, these first little collection of, of believers. Know the time in which you live and be thankful Many in the past longed for what you have. So here's the point. Peter wants his audience then and us now to see that based on the time in which we live, we are a people of immense privilege. And it's not just prophets of the past. It's angels of the present. Let's take a look. Look at verse 12. He's still talking about prophets here. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Another, another statement of privilege. Man, they, they were serving you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then there's just kind of addendum at the end. Just a little add-on phrase that I think is really interesting. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which so, so look, what are the things? Look back at verse 12. 
It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. What's that? It's the gospel message. It's the salvation that he's talking about. Been announced to you through those who preach the good news. There it is again. Those are the things. The good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Angels long to look into these realities of salvation. Angels long to look into what it means for people to be redeemed by God and to repent and turn, of the, turn from their sin and trust and treasure Jesus. Angels long to look into how this works. It's kind of like my kids. My kids um, have this rabid fascination with screens, okay? Now, we limit their screen time, and so it's like a, a drug addict who, like, if he can't have it all the time, he's just, like, hyper about it. So we get him an hour a day, but then once in a while, Dad pulls out his phone, and I'm looking at highlights from the NBA last night on the ESPN app, and it's like they hear that, that screen come on, and it's just like, what? Someone's watching a screen? I need to be there. And those four kids, like, huddled around me, straining their necks to, like, see what's on this tiny little screen. And they're, like, fighting over each other and, and elbowing. And, like, oh, a screen. Like, it's like the screen comes on. And it's like tractor beam, just pulling them in. Amazing technology, these screens. Look at this world we live in. It's unbelievable. And that's just, like, they're just all about it. Craning their necks to, like, get in there. And that's really interesting because that's, that's really what Peter's writing here. This verb, angels lo- to long to look into, the verb to long here literally means to gaze at with outstretched necks, okay? To gaze at with outstretched necks. It's, it's like the strained effort because it's so interesting and valuable to the angels, like, like my kids with, with screens. Like if gospel redemption is on the screen of heaven, then these angels are streaming to check it out. They're like elbowing each other out of the way. Well, no, how, how does this work? Because like, they don't receive redemption like human beings do. And they, they are fascinated with how God does this with human beings. Things into which angels long to look. They love to hear about how God works salvation. They're like, tell me more, tell me more. I want more of that. I want to see this. I want to look into that. I'm willing to inconvenience myself and be a little uncomfortable so that I can look at what God is doing here with these people. So Peter's just driving home the point. If prophets of old long to know what you know, first audience in Asia Minor, and angels themselves long to know what you know about Jesus and how salvation works. How cool is it that, G- that the church, post-Jesus, has the privilege of holding on to this knowledge? That's what he's saying. You are people of immense privilege. God is so loving that he caused you to be alive at this time in history. So let that identity fuel you, right? So just one simple application point and we'll be done. And I think that's Peter's application point for his audience, and so thus it's ours as well. Just rejoice in your identity. That's kind of the main point of this whole first 12 verses. Rejoice in your identity. This is who God says you are. Don't get a big head, but be humbled, thankful, and willing to serve in light of who you are if you're a Christian here this morning. We live post-Jesus, death, life, resurrection. So we can know for sure that it happened in history. There's really, there's a myriad of reasons why it's really reasonable to trust in Jesus and to treasure him as king of the universe. The resurrection is, is evidence number one. 
But not everyone in history can say that. 2,000 years ago and further back than that, they didn't have all the same messages that we have. Now, they got saved in the same way by believing by faith God's word. Okay, and there's a lot we can say there that we won't say this morning. But they didn't have the same information to believe by faith that we have. We live in a time when we've seen all these prophecies of the Old Testament come to fruition in our day. Or in the day of those that have gone before us post-Jesus. We haven't just been given shadows, we've been given realities. We've got the testimony about the reality. Jesus, in the Bible, lots of people haven't had that. We can know for sure how is it that our sins are forgiven. We have that with more specificity in our day and age, because of God's word given to us. We've got 2,000 years of church history to teach us and warn us and encourage us, encourage us the, the, the lives of countless saints that have gone before us. And we look at their lives and go, wow, they trusted and treasured Jesus and they had fuel to, to, to abide and to engage and to persevere. Man, so, so can we. I mean, we live in a, a time of privilege based on all of the things that we have And Jesus himself even said this. Let me close with this. Look at what he said here in Luke chapter 10, verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. So do you see and do you rejoice? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is given to us as a gift. May we receive it as that and may you use it by the power of your spirit um, to regenerate hearts this morning, to draw people to yourself that don't know you. Lord, we pray that those um, that maybe are hearing these things about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection where he lay down his life to bear the penalty for our sin that we deserve as our substitute lovingly so that we can be saved from the wrath of God. If that's news to some people this morning, I pray that you would awaken their ears to hear. Lord, I pray that they would rejoice in this possibility of salvation, that, that guilt can be really dealt with and not just anesthetized, but truly dealt with. Um, Lord, I pray that you would draw folks to yourself there and those that already know that and treasure it and trust it, Lord, would you um, just continue to instill in us um, rejoicing in the, in the light of these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.